Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Rob Mejia. He is adjunct professor at Stockton University in the Cannabis Studies Department. So we're going to talk a lot about that. He's also an author. He is the uh, author of The Essential Cannabis Book and The Essential Cannabis Journal. And we're going to talk to him about the work that he's been doing in cannabis here in, uh, based in Jersey, Stockton's in, in Southern Jersey. And what's going on in the Jersey area, as I think a lot of people know in this program, New York and New Jersey have both been working on their uh, adult use programs. Um, uh, Jersey has recently come out with uh, some more indications on how they're going to do the regulations and structure the industry here. So we'll probably chat a little bit about that. Exciting time for people on the East Coast, kind of new, huge market for the cannabis industry. So excited to see what kind of the take that Rob has on this and, and where we see the uh, not only the general cannabis market, but kind of the East Coast cannabis market going. So with that, Rob, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. I am delighted to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. So before we kind of dig into what you're doing with Stockton and what's going on with Jersey, let's talk a little bit of background. Professionally, what have you been doing? How did cannabis come up? Tell us the story. I find there's always an interesting journey that people have been on to get into cannabis. Give us a little insight on yours. 
Uh, sure. So I started my cannabis journey quite quite a while ago now, and it started because I'm from a very large family. I'm one of 13 kids, uh, born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Wow. And one of my sisters, unfortunately, she got uterine cancer a number of years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. And she, yeah, it was uh, it was a tough time. And uh, so I, I live in New Jersey. So she's in, she was in Cleveland. So I went to go visit her quite often. And during that time, when she was battling cancer. She was put on opioids for the first time, and then she also started losing her appetite. And of yeah. course, my first thought was, why are they not offering her cannabis for her pain, first of all? And then second, I know it stimulates appetite. So why, why is no one suggesting that? Why are we not trying it? But unfortunately, she passed pretty quickly, so we never even had the opportunity to find out sort of what that could have done for her. Yeah. But that sort of quandering question really stuck with me. And I thought, well, I still have 11 siblings. I'm still here. My parents are still alive. And I thought, if any of these situations come up again, I would like to be knowledgeable about what cannabis can do in terms of health and wellness. And so that's really where I started. And I started doing a bunch of research. And like many people that get involved in the cannabis industry, I just found it fascinating from almost any facet I looked at it, whether it was from cultivation, social issues, the business that it could bring in, the prohibitionist history. And so I started down that rabbit hole and I spent years really <laughs> researching and doing that. And when I finally popped my head back up again, and of course, being as enthusiastic as I was, I kept talking to my friends and family all about the marvelous world of cannabis. And it struck me that there was such a dearth of basic information that I thought, you know what, I do have an education and I do have a background in education and publishing. Yep. And so why don't I go into the cannabis education market and really become like a cannabis 101 person? And so that's why I, I wrote my book called The Essential Cannabis Book. Mm -hmm. And from there, I developed a company called Our Community Harvest, a cannabis education company. And then I went on to be a professor at uh, Stockton University. So I really dove into the cannabis education part of the business, and yeah. I, I thoroughly love it. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me about Stockton. I mean, I, you know, I, I've talked with sort of various educational organizations, you know, both public and private that have been kind of figuring out how to provide cannabis education. Obviously, it's a little complicated. You know, previously, uh, I think, you know, four, five, six, seven years ago, the stigma and the kind of legal status of cannabis made it difficult for a lot of institutions to really embrace it or really engage in it. Tell me about Stockton. How did that play out? What was their approach to this? How did you help them? Give me a little bit of the, the story there. So what happened with Stockton is that they really looked around into the world and said, cannabis is going to be big business yeah. and it's going to touch a lot of the areas that our students are already studying in. And so we have an obligation to really give them opportunities to get into that business. And so we offer a minor in cannabis studies, which I think is a, a very interesting and valuable approach. So a student can major in anything. And then they take five courses in order to get a good baseline of cannabis knowledge so they can go into their preferred field of study. We have about a third that come into the minor program that are, have some sort of health background. So maybe they want to go into nursing, physical therapy, exercise science. And then another third come from the business area. So we have a lot that are in marketing, management. They might want to go in and get their MBA. And then the middle third really come from anywhere. We have people from computer science, communication, social work, you name it. And so, again, what they do is they pursue their major. Hopefully, that's what they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then that is flavored by that minor in cannabis education, which includes a cannabis internship. And so that's one of the classes that I teach is called Preparation for Cannabis Internship. And so we do some small business practices I have to introduce them to the myriad of jobs that are in cannabis, not just the cultivation, processing, and dispensary jobs that a lot of them come in thinking that's really what it is. So I really expand their sort of uh, their choices during the class. And then I also work with local businesses 
and set up internships and uh, and sometimes jobs as well. And so it's been a marvelous program and the students have really responded to it and the classes are full. There's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of momentum. So it's really working well. So, and so when did you start the program and how many how many classes have you, you know, cohort classes have you run through and, and how many people roughly have, have been through this? Uh, sure. So it's actually a relatively new program. It started back in the fall of 2018. So we've okay. only had a couple full years. And of course, <laughs> a yeah. good portion of it was during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an online experience for all of us for roughly two and a half semesters. But we will be going to uh, in-person classrooms in the fall, which is great. And I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing all my students uh, in person, which will be magnificent. So again, there are five classes that make up the minor, and we've been doing this for roughly uh, about two and a half years. Yeah. And how did you choose, I mean, how did you choose the curriculum and the classes, and what are you actually covering in terms of content? I mean, give us a, a little more insight into what people actually learn and how do you teach them these things? Sure. So the, pretty much the sponsoring department is the uh, science and math department. And the courses were decided on by a committee who actually developed the curriculum before I even started at Stockton. Mm -hmm. And so they um, put together five classes, including an introduction to medical cannabis class, law and cannabis, preparation for cannabis internship class. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth class is pretty flexible and it relates to your major. So it could be a horticulture class, which is quite popular, could be holistic health. Uh, could again be another business class. And then the fifth class they take is actually an internship. And students do end up working in cultivation centers, both in hemp and cannabis. And I even had a student that worked in aquaponics last semester, which is pretty remarkable, and hydroponics, of course. Uh And then we do have a number that work in labs. And uh, dispensaries, of course, are a popular destination. So we have a number of students who have done their internships there and then have gone on to get jobs there too. And then above and beyond that, it's almost anything you can think of. I had a student that worked with a hospitality company that helped to book events. I had another student that worked in marketing and did research. I had another one that did uh, website development. So really the opportunities are out there and the companies in New Jersey know that we have a minor in cannabis studies program and an internship program. So we've been signing them up right and left onto a platform we have called Handshake, and the students go there and they can just do a search and look for cannabis cultivation, cannabis marketing, whatever it is they're looking for, mm-hmm. and the open jobs and internships will will appear, and they can send their resume, they can get interviews, and that's really how we've been pursuing those internships. So between my personal relationships and then with people we have on that uh, computer program. Yeah. And what has been kind of the response or the interaction with the industry in terms of you know the companies in the cannabis space? What um, you know? What have you learned? How have they helped you? What's been the collaboration? There has been so much support and so much willingness to provide information, opportunities to come to our events. We do have two career fairs. And so we have one in the fall and then also one in the spring. And there are so many companies that show up and agree to either interview the students or they'll be on a panel. There's also, uh, if I ever have any questions, I turn to my network and it's a lot of the employers (laughs) in New Jersey. And I get so many good responses and so much time. I had questions about um, lab protocol and lab testing recently about what New Jersey was doing. And within minutes after I had posted the question on LinkedIn, I had about uh, 10 really good replies, ended up having a conversation later that week. And so my questions were answered thoroughly. So I can't say enough about the business support that we are getting here in New Jersey. Yeah. And most of the companies, cannabis industry companies you're working with are Jersey or are they East Coast? Or are they national? What's What's been kind of the geographic kind of dispersity of this? There is a pretty good variety. I would say quite a number of them are New Jersey, but then there are some national companies like Philips Lighting, for example. Mm-hmm. They are the biggest light.
lighting company in the world, and they happen to have a headquarters here in New Jersey, but clearly they work, they work worldwide. So we do have companies like that. We have some multi-state operators. Uh, we have some um, accounting firms. I mean, it really is quite a diverse collection of uh, people who do want to hire the Stockton interns. Yeah. And where do you see the demand? Is this, you know, core kind of plant touching, cultivation processing, uh, dispensing kind of jobs? Are these ancillary products and services, you know, labs, you know, accounting, engineering, you know, all the all the other kind of things that need to support the industry? Where, where are you seeing the kind of the most demand or the most interest from the industry in terms of, you know, education programs? That's kind of a tough one. So from the industry side, really, they come from all over. But from the student side, the two most popular areas would have to be cultivation and dispensary operations. Okay. And, and then again, outside of that, I have some students who are accountants, so they want to work with a yep. specialized cannabis accounting firm, for example. Yeah. Um, I have students who are interested in sustainable studies, so they may be interested in working with a local water company or a solar company. So it, it really is, um, it's driven by both sides. I mean, the companies come in and they have their offerings, but then the students ultimately make the decision. And again, most of them do want to go sort of the traditional route of cultivation and dispensary, at least for now. Yeah. And, and I guess how much of the industry are you covering? I mean, you're covering the kind of the marijuana THC side, CBD, hemp, industrial hemp. I mean, how, how far do you go down kind of the various threads that you can you can go down in cannabis? Well, well for me, the very nice part is I've, I'm kind of a generalist, and so I do touch so many different areas. Yeah. And I also network with so many different people, too, that I do bring in people from the hemp industry, CBD, technology, research, people from labs. I mean, you, you name it. If there's somebody who wants to connect, I'm happy to connect with them and happy to connect students with them. So I, I would say really that... Um, I connect with people across the entire industry. And then if I get a special request, so I hadn't had any requests for cannabis accounting until last semester. Mm -hmm. But because I knew I had two students who were going to get their degrees pretty soon, I started doing some research there. So now we have about five or six different companies uh, who offer opportunities there. So part of it, again, is student-driven. I did have the hospitality student who wanted to work with events. And I already had a couple connections, but I developed a few more because of her. So I mean, I mean, I really feel like part of my obligation is to help students find opportunities in the areas that they're interested in. And so we already have a lot of those established. But if they come up to me with a new area, I take that as a great challenge. And, yeah. I, and, I'll, and I'll find something for them. I'll network and I'll find something. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And who's coming into this program? I and mean, who do, any observations, trends, patterns, things you're noticing in terms of the people that are applying to the program, taking the program? What, where are they coming from? Why are they, why are they getting involved in cannabis? It's mostly students from New Jersey. Stockton University is located sort of near Atlantic City, so sort mm -hmm. of southern Jersey. And most of the student body are New Jerseyans, although we do get a decent number from some of the bordering states and then, yeah. of course, from all across the country. But I, I would say a good portion, probably about 80% of the students in my classes and the cannabis classes are from New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're motivated because they're smart and they know that's where the jobs are. <laughs> right, right, right now, uh, cannabis jobs are outpacing healthcare, tech, everything. It is the yeah. fastest growing industry in New Jersey by far. And especially since we've just gotten our new New Jersey adult rules and regulations, yeah. we're going to see applications. We're going to see business boom. We're going to see micro licenses. There's a lot of activity in the, um, social equity world and trying to mm -hmm. work with candidates there to get them businesses. So the students are just smart. I mean, they look and they, they see a category that they're interested in, subject they're interested in, but then they also know that their prospects when they get out are good because people are hiring all over the place. 
Yeah. And how much are you focusing your studies and your programs on sort of Jersey specific markets versus the general cannabis market? Other states, you know, obviously have kind of different setups and stuff. How are you kind of designing the program? I usually design the uh, topics and the assignments that they focus on New Jersey. But the one thing that I do at the very beginning of class, pretty much as soon as we start, is I set up a phone call with each of the students. And during that call, we go over where they are in their academic career, sort of what classes they need to finish to get their cannabis minor. And then also when they expect to graduate, when they'd like to do their internship, what they would like their internship to focus on, and also where they would like it to be. And so if I do have a student in uh, Pennsylvania, for example, we will look in the Pennsylvania area and I will tailor my assignments so that they look at the Pennsylvania market. Got it. And so that they'll get to know that market well, while the rest of the students are looking at New Jersey or someone else will be looking at California, Colorado. We do have a number of students who do want to travel once they get out of school. Yeah. Yeah. And and California and Colorado are, are by far the two most popular states. So I really try to find out what the student's interest is in cannabis and where yeah. they would like to go. And then I give them relevant assignments where they research their own market. They yeah. research the businesses that are there. They make a list of the, if it's dispensaries they want to work in, you know, which dispensaries are within an hour of your house that you would travel to or an hour and a half, however you're, however far you're willing to go. Yep. And so they kind of make up their plan during the semester. And when they come out at the end, they have a spreadsheet of the businesses that they want to kind of approach for their opportunities. So that, that's really how I work with uh, different geographical locations. Yeah. Any connection to the Canadian market? I'm curious how you're kind of either covering or connected to the Canadian market in this program. You know, it's funny, nobody has asked for any Canadian connections yet. So I'm, I'm hoping this semester, maybe somebody will ask me because yeah. I have a, a very good network there and would love to send somebody up to Canada. But so far, we really haven't um, covered it in too much depth. Although the one thing I will say is that part of what I try to do in my preparation for cannabis internship class is to really build up their baseline of cannabis knowledge and then also to help them to keep up to date with what's happening in the cannabis world. And so we have a little section at the beginning of class, which is called This Week in Cannabis. And uh, for lack of a better description, it's kind of like a little news show where I start out and we talk about, you know, what, what happened in cannabis internationally. So we would talk about what happened in South Africa, for example, which is pretty mm-hmm. phenomenal that they're looking to yeah. build a whole business that could be country based and could help a lot of the small farmers. So yeah. that's an example of an international story we'd look at. Then we'd look at what's happening nationally. And so we'd see what's happening in the different medical programs, who's looking at adult use, gathering signatures, which companies were acquired, all that kind of thing. And then we turn to New Jersey and we look very specifically at what's happening in New Jersey. And then from there, I even look at what, what, what I've done during the week because if I'm on a panel mm-hmm. or I've met somebody new, I pass my leads on as well. So um, anyway, that, that's how we always hand, handle the international market. We always include it at the beginning of our week. Yeah. And so let's talk about Jersey. So as you mentioned, Jersey recording this very beginning of September, they quite recently came out with some more details on how they're going to structure the New New Jersey market. I guess what what has been your kind of analysis so far? I mean, this has been kind of a long, complicated, drawn out process for Jersey, (laughs) including some lawsuits and things. I guess give give us a sense on on where you see the the market. What have what have you noticed about the most recent kind of announcements have been coming out? What's interesting to you? What are you concerned about? How do you New Jersey developing? I think in total that the 160-page document that came out from the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission was well thought out, was more detailed than I would have expected. And some of the major themes that came out is they really put uh, some of the social equity 
considerations up front. Mm -hmm. And so they actually did define some of the ownership groups as either diverse owned, minority owned, or social equity owned. And they've also focused on uh, impact or enterprise zones. Yeah. And so they, they have opened the door and ac actually they prioritize those applications. So if you are a social equity applicant, mm -hmm. regardless of when you turn in your application, it goes to the top of the stack and, and it gets reviewed as a priority. So yeah. I think that part was pretty incredible. And then the other thing that people have really liked is there are provisions for micro licenses. Tell us more. Oh, sure. So micro licenses in New Jersey, if you are a uh, resident in your township or an adjoining township that allows for a cannabis business, uh, you can apply for a micro license and those micro licenses have uh, smaller fees. They're also available in all six categories that New Jersey allows. And then also the, the considerations are you have to have 10 or fewer employees and your facility can only be up to 2,500 square feet. You can, after a year, apply to get a traditional license so you can expand your footprint. But to start with, that means that you can develop a small business in your hometown that could be either cultivation, could be processing, could be a dispensary. It could be a distributor, could be warehouse, and could be delivery. Those are the six categories that are available to people. Mm -hmm. And obviously, for a smaller business, it's not going to cost you as much capital. And the application is also simpler, too. So, And, and there's no caps on the micro licenses. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, ca the caps are determined by what the municipalities say. And they do have a lot of power about where your business can be, how many they'll allow. So your township may say... We don't want any dispensaries, but we'll allow all other five categories. Yeah. Or, they'll, or they'll say, we just want delivery, and yeah. it can only be based in the industrial zone. So the municipalities really have a ton of power to determine how that business looks. But if you do get a township that's willing to work with you, opportunities for the micro licenses are, are pretty phenomenal, and people are very excited about that. The, yeah. the other thing I will say that I was very impressed with is the educational components that's built into it. So if you get a cannabis business license, which means you're either going to be an owner, you're going to be a handler, you're going to be involved in the business in some way, you have to take a course. And the course covers cannabis history and prohibition. It covers uh, different cultivation techniques. It actually even covers chemovars. It covers advertising regulations and all the other stipulations that kind of came out with this new law. So the great part is everybody in New Jersey who's going to be involved in cannabis will have a little bit of cannabis education on the basics, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. And, then, and then in addition to that, if you're in after your first year, you basically have to take continuing education classes up to eight hours to keep up with, with your part of the business. So that might be a, a, a continuing ed class in cannabis accounting. Maybe it's something else in horticulture. So I love that they're also encouraging people or mandating people to stay up to date in the cannabis industry. And then they're also educating consumers. And the way they're doing that is on the labels. Not only do you have to list the slang name for a strain. So let's take Durban Poison, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have to put that on there. But then you also have, have to list the chemovar. And the very simple way to explain that is the chemovar is more the effect of what the particular strain is. Yeah. So they have three categories. One is high THC, low CBD. One is medium THC, medium CBD. One is high CBD, low THC. I, I kind of wish they had done a couple more categories because the middle one can be a very big middle. <laughs> um, but at any rate, it starts to train people to think about why are you using cannabis and what effect you want and, and know what this particular plant or strain is going to do for you. So it's kind of starting to teach people that the slang names that we use really don't have a ton of meaning yeah. and that we should be going more towards more of a, a scientific look at, uh, at the plant. And so starting to even list something like a chemovar is a nice little step. So I see them educating the people who are in the business, educating consumers, and then also mandating ongoing education. So I thought... 
between social equity, between the micro licenses, and between the educational provisions, I would just say bravo. Yeah. And what's the time frame? I mean, how do you see this playing out in terms of actually getting applications going, getting licenses issued, getting businesses up and running, actually seeing dispensaries with product ready to sell for adult use? Sure. There's a couple dates that were written into the legislation. So in case something different happens, in about 30 days, we expect for there to be a request for applications. Mm-hmm. And that may just be for uh, more medical licenses, we'll see, or whether they'll be for for everything. And of course, they'll have to put all the stipulations in about what they expect with the applications and when they'll be reviewed, et cetera. But that should happen, we think, probably within about 30 days will be the first call. And then as of uh, roughly by about Valentine's Day, so February 15th, it looks like that's when the adult use market pretty much has to be up and going as long as our 12 existing ATCs, which are alternative treatment centers, mm-hmm. can prove that they have enough product to effectively serve the medical cannabis market. So if they can take care of their medical cannabis patients and they have enough other flour and other products to sell, then they can open up their doors to the adult use market. Got it. And I mean, just looking at Jersey relative to other states, I mean, we, you know, we've, we've got 13, 14 markets now up and running. What do you notice that's similar or different in terms of how Jersey has approached this versus some of the existing adult use markets? Well, I would say one thing that's kind of similar is New Jersey started with a, a very MSO heavy market. Yeah. So pretty much well, we have 12. And, and right now, 10 of those 12 are big operators that have operations in other states. There were even a couple purchases of the New Jersey licenses. First of all, there is a, a limit on cultivation licenses for two years. There's only 37 for the large cultivators. Obviously, this doesn't affect the micro licenses. But um, in order to get one of those, those are very expensive. They'll be very competitive. So I expect, again, more of the MSOs to get that part of the market. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think that the, uh, the micro licenses will help some of the small players and the residents to start to get a foothold as well. So I would say New Jersey is kind of a blend of other states. I mean, you could look at some place like Florida that is so MSO heavy, and we do have some of that. But then you can look at places like um, Illinois and Michigan, where they, they gave some open opportunities for some of the smaller players, and we have some of that too. So we're, we're kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah, I get it. And what do you, uh, I mean, I guess, how do you see this market playing out? I mean, I, we've got New Jersey, New York has got some things going on, you know, uh, Pennsylvania has had a program for a while. Are these going to affect each other, coordinate? I mean, how, how do you see this kind of region? I mean, you know, the New York City area is interesting because you've got three, maybe four states, you could argue, that are kind of involved or, or going to affect this. Um, how, how do you see these interacting? Well, the governors from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania did meet a while ago, and they did talk about coordination. Mm-hmm. And so because we are so close together, yeah. and because we have such population density, and because it's so easy to get to those other states, New Jersey has a population of about 9.2 million. Mm-hmm. If you add in a, a two-hour commute and brought people in, our, our uh, population could blossom up to 25 million. Yeah. So you can imagine that there's going to be a lot of... Um, people going across borders. And New Jersey will have at least a first mover advantage for a little while with our adult use market. But I expect that uh, New York will not be too much further behind. I would I would suggest probably they'll be uh, six months to a year behind. Uh, Pennsylvania has been slower than I expect. I think they'll be about 18 months behind us. Uh, Connecticut is actually making some moves. So they'll yeah. probably be around about the time that um, New York launches, if not a little bit earlier. So I think we will see a, a lot of cooperation 
and we'll see some coordination. So some of the things that New Jersey put through on adult use, I fully expect to see New York copy those same regulations and same thing with uh, Connecticut and Pennsylvania. So I think we will see a lot of, lot of uh, I would say, friendly competition. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're in this area, you know that certain states provide certain things. If you want to go to a Broadway show, you go to New York City. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go to a great Italian restaurant, you can go locally or you can go to some other places as well. So anyway, I think that cannabis will be normalized. And I think that um, basically the market will kind of uh, shake itself out and the better providers will continue to thrive just as they do in any other market here in New Jersey, New York, uh, Connecticut. Yeah. Anything you're concerned about? I mean, any, anything that you see kind of either in the regulations or in the complexity of, you know, this kind of mid-Atlantic East Coast market, anything that you see kind of unaddressed or that you're going to be kind of watching to see how it gets resolved or how it plays out? One thing I was both heartened by, but also I thought we could have done a little bit more work on is some of the sustainability issues that the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission brought up. Yeah. So, so they did bring up provisions that they, they are encouraging recycling. They're encouraging the use of biodegradable material. Mm-hmm. Although personally, I wish they would have mandated or given some uh, bonus points and applications if you were able to use uh, hemp packaging and hemp biodegradable packaging, because yeah. I think that could be a nice little boost to the hemp industry. But then all, also in terms of the sustainability, you can only sell flour in New Jersey in uh, quarter ounce packages. Uh, so if you're somebody who is a medical patient, let's say you buy an ounce at a time, and actually medical patients in New Jersey can even buy more, that means you'd have to buy four of these packages. And and if you know cannabis, you're going to take <laughs> that and you're going to immediately put it in a glass jar because that stores it much better. Yeah. And then you're unfortunately going to throw away the plastic. Yeah. And and that just leads to so much waste. Yeah. So you have four of those that, that you've just had to throw away for one product. So I, I was disappointed that the only only serving size is one quarter, but I understand that's in part because we're probably gonna have to limit consumption when the adult uh, use market starts. Yeah. That that's one thing. And then also so much information has to be printed on those labels. I think it's gonna be a, a challenge for somebody to come up with packaging that's not too big because you're just gonna flat out need the space for all the all the warning information, the information about the chemovirus, QR codes. I mean, there it's going to be just packed with uh, with verbiage. So um, I was glad to see some sustainability addressed, but I think we could probably do a little bit more there. And then my personal big disappointment was the limitations on edibles. Yeah. And I understand why New Jersey did it, but I wish they would have uh, kind of pushed it a little more. So we're going to have to live with this for at least a year. But in terms of, of edibles, and I use that term loosely, New Jersey is only going to allow um, tinctures, syrups, lozenges that can dissolve under your tongue, and then what they call sort of chewable forms, which just translates into a gummy. Yeah. So that so that's really it. But there's certainly no baked goods, there's no power bars, there's no chips, there's nothing like that. Yeah. I was disappointed because medical patients sometimes need edibles and it's a better way for them to consume, especially if they don't want to smoke. Mm-hmm. And if they want something that's longer lasting, or perhaps somebody's in federal housing and they can't smoke there. Yeah. So it Having edibles would have been a nice alternative method of consumption for medical patients. And then the second thing is that it limited opportunities for a lot of New Jersey operators. There, there are a bunch of um, excellent chefs and other people who would like to get into that part of the industry, but really can't for now. So that, that was a little bit of my disappointment. But as one of my friends pointed out, New Jersey is really just getting used to the idea of adult use. And so it's going to take a little while for us to get used to all this and also for the education about proper use of edibles to become kind of common knowledge. So that, that, that's why I understand why they were careful about what they did. But again, I was a little disappointed that uh, more provisions were not made for the edibles market. Yeah. Rob, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the program at Stockton, the other work you're doing, what's the best way to get all that information? 
they can contact me at robert.mejia, M-E-J-I-A, at stockton.edu. And then also I do have a website for my education company called Our Community Harvest. And that website is www.ourcommunityharvest.com. There's contact information on there as well. So probably I would think those would be the two best ways to connect with me. Great. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. Rob, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you about what's happening in New Jersey cannabis and the cannabis world at large. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.